With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Larry Phillips. We're getting ready to go on Facebook Live. We will be starting up at about 6 o'clock or thereabouts. Whenever our guest comes on, Edward Henry, he will be on tonight. I did confirm that with him yesterday. After I screw up last week, uh, I oversaw an email that he had sent me. Um, and so that was my bad on that one. Um, so we will be going on Facebook Live here momentarily. And I'll be checking in to see if Ed Hendry has joined us yet. Um, Tonight, we are going to be um, talking about the Roman Catholic Church and the abuses in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Edward Henry has done a lot of research in this area, and so it should be an interesting broadcast. Um, it looks like Brother Mark Kennedy has already joined us in Toronto. Um, Good evening, um, John from Toronto. Good good evening, Mark. How are you? Very well, very well. We had a we had a uh, unit become available in our building, and I showed it uh, four times on Sunday, uh, twice this morning, and uh, three uh, one two three more times this afternoon for a total of nine times because uh, my my landlord, he pays me $10 every time I show a unit. <laughs> there you go. You want me to... Today, you... showing the apartment nine times. You want, you want me to bring Rosette and Mark down? You can show it three more times? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Okay. okay. Uh, I don't know if my landlord would go for that, but that's okay. It's a nice thought anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to welcome Richard. Richard, welcome aboard. I see you're um, listening in on TalkShoe, and we are also on Facebook Live, and I'm looking forward to seeing Brother Edward Henry joining us shortly. Welcome aboard Alan Taylor on Facebook Live, as well as our other guest on Facebook Live as well. Uh, we will be starting in about, oh, 10 minutes or so, and tonight, um, after my major screw-up last week, I oversaw an email where Brother Edward Henry had stated that he couldn't make it because he had to be out of town. He will be with us tonight. I confirmed that yesterday, and he will be with us on the 10th. He will not be with us on 
the seventeenth, uh, the twenty fourth, or the thirty first. He's going to be out of town for those days. So uh, just uh, realize that he will only be on the next two evenings. So we'll have to maybe get another guest. Maybe I can get um, um, either Chris Dernerin or uh, maybe we can get um, um, Walt Stickle or John uh, from Ontario, somebody to, to fill in as a guest. Good, good evening, Nina Jamariano. Welcome aboard. And I'm watching TalkShoe to see. Uh, we've got some people that I'm not familiar with that have joined us. You're welcome aboard. Um, I'm going to open up the mic here and see. Um, welcome aboard uh, 805 area code, whoever you are. I've unmuted your mic if you want to join in. I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, Brother Edward Henry here shortly. Uh, let's see. We've got several on TalkShoe and several on Facebook. Um, tonight should be an interesting broadcast talking about the abuse in the Roman Catholic Church. And I am... I do know that Brother Edward Henry has done significant research in this regard. He went to Notre Dame, got his undergraduate, went on to Jesuit Law School, and he has now had a long history uh, in researching what has gone. He actually wrote a book on a nun who came out of Rome, and he probably is going to cover that tonight as well. Uh, it's not a pleasant subject, but yet it's something that Brother Ed requested that we talk about. So, uh, what happens here shortly, hopefully. Uh, I want to remind people that Wednesday night, Brother Mark and I have been working through the book, God Does Not Love Everyone, But He Does Love His Elect from Everlasting to Everlasting. And we will be continuing to work that book on Wednesday night. And, uh, Mark has been help, helping me go through that as well. Okay, I'm just checking the lines here. I want to welcome Melly Navarro and um, I've already mentioned the other guests, Alan Taylor, Nina G. Mariano, um, and uh, Mark Kennedy, of course, and Alan Taylor. And I just got off the phone a few minutes ago with Brother Walt Stickle. We had a really good conversation. It was excellent. I always enjoy talking to Brother Walt. And Brother Walt also wanted me to give you a message. Brother Mark, he appreciated an email that you had sent to him. I don't know what that was about, but it, oh. it, it really resounded with Brother Walt, and he wanted me to thank you for it. So anyway. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's see. It's about seven minutes before the hour. Um, I don't have any uh, tricks up my sleeve to, to cover the time tonight. 
Um, I don't even have any good jokes for y'all. Um, you know, this isn't really a time for joking anyway. I will say right. this, that uh, there is uh, a lot of talk out there uh, right now about, you may want to do a little research on this, just kind uh-huh. of give you a little, it looks like Brother Ed just joined us, so I'll save that for later. I'll unmute his mic. Uh, good evening, Brother Ed. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. First of all, I want to apologize for the mix-up last week. That was my oversight. And uh, uh, I, like you, I get a lot of emails, and I don't excuse myself. I just screwed up. Okay, so anyway, I know know it's like I know it's like when you get emails and especially when they're replies, so you just don't scrutinize them that that well. I know. But anyway, I will make a commitment to you in the future to always confirm at least a day before uh, that we're good to go the following day. That way, we don't have the mix-up. Now, I do have you down for next week, and I have you off. Uh, the 17th, the 24th, and the 31st of December. So I think we're together on that. Um, well, okay. tonight, now, I, I can actually be here on the 31st. It's just that I didn't know if you were doing the broadcast then. I'm going to be out of town on the, um, uh, let's see, the 13th through the 24th. I'm actually flying okay. back on, uh, I think I'll be back by the 24th. I'm, I can't be sure, though. If it's, um, but I'm going to be definitely jet lagged, so I'm not really going to be functional. That's right. the problem. Yeah, I understand that. Well, I really don't because I, I haven't experienced that much jet lag, to be honest with you. But I have talked to people who have, like yourself, and I guess it's not really a fun experience. So uh, anyway, I, I, uh, we will be having our program on uh, New Year's Eve, the 31st, and you're welcome to join us on that program. We'd love to have you. Uh, we find that a lot of our, our the people that listen on Facebook Live uh, are non-traditionalists. They don't celebrate New Year's Eve. A lot of people don't celebrate Christmas, and so we expect yep. to have uh, we expect to have an audience on New Year's Eve. So, if you want to be on the program, you're more than welcome to uh, to join us. Okay. Um, yeah, I will uh, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, I I plan on on joining you. Let me, I'm just checking my calendar and uh, let me look at what my calendar says for December. Yeah, we're flying back. 31st of New Year's Eve. I expect to be back on the morning of the 24th. I'm coming all the way from Hawaii. So I'll be, yeah, my my daughter is out there. So uh, we're going out to visit her and, uh, and her husband. So it, yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll be in touch on that. Um, well, tonight, uh, you know, I received that book. You had sent me your book that you now. Um, I had read through it on the the nun, and I actually gave that book to a friend of mine <clears throat> to read in Harrison, Arkansas. So he currently has that book, but uh, you've done a bit of research on the abuse in the Roman Catholic Church, and so I'm going to just let you kind of go through uh, what prompted, 
this subject coming to mind for tonight's program. I know that there's been a lot of accusations, and right now there's a lot in the news regarding sexual abuse in general. We've got videos going up regarding the linkage of Epstein and Trump and the Clintons and and this uh, island where all kind of minors were sexually abused, up to 40 girls yeah. in, in his home in here in the United States. And now some uh, big, uh, either Secretary of Treasury, or I, I, don't, I don't know the guys, but he is uh, in the office of Secretary of Treasury or something like that. He was an attorney for Epstein, and now he's in the Trump administration. There's linkage there, but that has really nothing to do with our subject tonight. We're we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, you're much more knowledgeable about the whole subject now. You know, I'm kind of interested. For a, I I spent quite a bit of time as a social worker in sexual abuse investigation uh, with the state of Missouri as well. And I also work for the state of Kansas, so I've seen a lot of uh, firsthand abuse uh, myself, so I can relate a lot to what you're going to be covering tonight. So I'm going to just turn it over to you and, and let you kind of get started on that. Okay. Um, back in, uh, in the 1800s, early 1800s, around 1830, 1831 through 35, uh, there well, actually, in 1836, the book came out. Let me just start there with the book. Uh, and the um, uh, the book was called Awful Disclosures of Maria Monk. And Maria Monk wrote the book, and it became a sensation at the time. Now, that book sold 300,000 copies. I can't remember how many years that was, but it's within a couple of years. So the United States was much less populous than it is now. And by the way, to sell 300,000 copies at any time uh, would make it a bestseller. Uh, just to give you some idea, to get on the New York Times bestseller list, it only takes 9,000 copies. So, wow. And the bestseller list is not even based on the sales of books, but the purchases of books by bookstores. So when you're actually selling 300,000 copies, and that's when the, we, have a, we had a literate population, uh, but it was much yeah. less, so a much greater proportion of the population was reading her book. And yeah. uh, what she revealed in her book was, just as my title indicates, uh, murder, rape, and torture in a Catholic nunnery. And that's the title of my book, and that is what her book revealed. So I've written a book. Uh, and, and this book uh, goes into and examines the awful disclosures of Maria Monk in her book because she has been uh, vilified by the Catholic uh, hierarchy since having written her book, all right? And at the time, she was vilified and attacked. Now, it's interesting the way the Roman Catholic Church goes about attacking somebody. Uh, they attacked her character. So this is a very much a Jesuitical tactic. So when they don't have the facts on their side, uh, then they, they argue the character or the source of those facts. So they didn't want people to examine or look into the actual evidence that she brought out. And so they tried to destroy her character. All right? 
Now, a number of things they alleged. First of all, they alleged that she was never actually a nun. Okay, so her allegation that she was an escaped nun, the Roman Catholic Church says, is false because she was never, ever a nun to begin with. That's their claim. Now, uh, Maria Monk responded to that claim by stating that, all right, let's visit the nunnery that I was in, and I will show you where all the secret passageways are, I will show you the secret passageway uh, that leads from the men's, the pre-seminary to the nunnery where they went in and sexually assaulted and basically had their way with the, nun, with the nuns in the nunnery, that the nunnery was nothing but a brothel for the priests and that they snuck back and forth through these hidden tunnels. And I will show you where the tunnels are. I will show you where the entrances are. I will show you where the torture chambers are in the nunnery, all right? If I wasn't a nun, then hey, let's open it up and you can prove one way or the other, either I'm a liar or not. And she made that challenge and the Roman Catholic Church would have none of it, okay? They would have none of it. They wanted no part of any examination of that nunnery. What they did, however, because her her uh, retort to them was public, and it was publicized throughout the United States and Canada. Uh, people were clamoring for just such an examination. So what they did over about a six to nine month period after that challenge was made was they engaged in efforts to reconstruct the inside of the, seminary, of the uh, nunnery. <laughs> so this convent, uh, which is the Hotel Du in Montreal, and there were witnesses that saw the construction workers bringing in large amounts of lumber and uh, mortar and everything else needed to reconstruct inside of the nunnery. And then based on that reconstruction, they brought in a hand-picked group of nominal Protestants, Protestants, people who were actually um, uh, had allegiance uh, to the Roman Catholic Church, and they brought them through and a very quick tour to, to, to say, oh, where she says things were are not there, and therefore she couldn't have been a nun. End of case. All right? Whereas, and they didn't reveal anything about the reconstruction because they knew nothing about it, see, or they pretended not to know about it. And so when looking at the evidence, you step back and you look at this, and, and it was a, it was a uh, it was a whitewash of the Catholic Church and a demonization of Maria Monk by the Catholic Church. And there were people that had taken sides. And in fact, to this day, to this day, the Roman Catholic Church maintains she was never a nun, and they have maintained their position of, of assassinating her character, saying that she was both a prostitute or a housemaid or a tutor. I mean, they have different stories for what she was doing while she was supposed to have been in the nunnery. And I went through the claims of the Roman Catholic Church, and I went through her claims, and I examined the evidence much like a lawyer would in a trial case. And I set forth the evidence in, in my book, and the evidence proves, <coughs> excuse me, the truth of what Maria Monk had said. So, starting off with the alteration of the nunnery, the eyewitnesses that saw the alteration of the nunnery, okay, 
We have that. We have their testimony. Why would they alter the, the, the nunnery after she challenged them to allow her with a group of, of uh, objective observers go through and point things out? Okay, and by the way, by that point, she had already driven, drawn a diagram of both the exterior and the interior of the nunnery. So she'd already drawn, she'd already laid it down as to where things were. <coughs> Excuse me. So her, her testimony was a matter of record. Now, in order to understand why she should believe, he believed, okay, when she escaped from the nunnery, um, she was pregnant, and that's what prompted her to escape. She escaped because she was pregnant from a Catholic priest. And she knew that if she remained in the nunnery and gave birth to that child, they would kill her child because she had been there and actually taken part in the infanticide of nuns who had uh, given birth to children. And so the, the child would be born, and they would immediately, the, the, the mother superior would snuff out the life of that child by pinching the nose and putting her hand over the mouth and suffocating the child. And so she was witness to that. She knew that would happen. And so she decided, <coughs> excuse me, I'm suffering from the flu right now, so I apologize for coughing. Uh, and so she, uh, she escaped in order to save her child. Excuse me while I cough. <coughs> excuse me, I apologize for that. So uh, what we have is uh, she escapes, and now she's pregnant. She is... Um, she is on her, uh, uh, she, she, she goes to a, they find her in a, um, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to cough real quick. So somebody else take it and start speaking, and I'll, I'll come back in just a minute. Yeah. So I, I have uh, also, several nuns have come forth since all this has happened. And, of course, many of you know I'm, uh, friends with Richard Bennett, who was um, a priest of 22 years that came out of the Roman Catholic Church, and he has done a lot of work with nuns as well that have the same kind of stories that that we're hearing tonight. And some of them are just atrocious. I mean, he's yeah. got one testimony, and so yeah, this is this is an ongoing. Go ahead, brother. I hope well, you. Well, anyway, she was, I just I just took some cough syrup. Buckley's, which I think is back on the market. It's, it's the best. Uh, it's the worst <laughs> thing you'll ever taste, by the way. It is the worst <laughs> tasting cough syrup. But it is, um, I don't want to waste your time with a sales thing on Buckley's. But anyway, <laughs> let's, let's move on. All right, so, so she believed, uh, she actually fled. She ended up in New York. Um, she was discovered. And she was in a, um, an almshouse for the poor. And she believed, she became ill, and she believed she was near death. And so she was still under the superstition of the Roman Catholic Church that you had to confess your sins before death or they would not be forgiven. And so she, there was no, it was a Protestant almshouse, so she asked for the minister of the house who, to whom she confessed all that she had been through. The fact that she had actually taken part in uh, the infanticide the fact that she had actually taken part in the murder of another nun, okay? Now, uh, her part in those was reluctant, okay? She only, right. and I'll, I'll explain, uh, she explains in her book how that, how that all took place. 
but so here she is admitting to having committed murder, uh, and so she wouldn't do that, <coughs> excuse me, unless it were true. And so uh, it turns out she ended up surviving, and the minister convinced her that her story should be told, and that she should make efforts to uh, to reveal her her story, and so she agreed to and ended up uh, writing the book where she revealed what went on behind the walls. But the, the idea that she would lie while on her deathbed, uh, thinking that she was going to die, uh, is, is an incredible uh, allegation by the Catholic Church because, uh, I mean, the, the deathbed, as stated by uh, uh, Edward Young, is a, is a lie detector of the heart. So it... It, uh, people don't want to die with a lie on their lips. So it, that, that gives sort of the imprimatur of uh, authenticity to what she's saying. So what's some of the evidence that proves, uh, further than that, the, the facts of what she's alleged? Well, there was a, uh, a man, when this became public, who came to see her. And the man's daughter was at the Hotel Du Nunnery. And... He sat down with her and interviewed her to find out the details of what was going on in the nunnery. And he was so upset by what he, he heard, and the reason he was so upset was because his daughter was at the nunnery. And upon wow. hearing what she had to say, he immediately went and, and got her daughter out of that nunnery. And her, his daughter confirmed to him what Maria Monk had said. So we have the testimony of this man. Uh, we also have the testimony of uh, a woman named uh, Madame LaVere. Uh, she is a, the woman uh, who lived in a house some distance from the nunnery, and that house is the first house that Maria Monk went to when she escaped. And Madame LaVere uh, confirmed that Maria Monk showed up at her house in nun's garb and told her that she was an escaped nun. Uh, so Madame Lavalier took her in. She gave her ordinary pedestrian clothes, uh, took the nun's garb garments, brought them back to the Hotel Du Nunnery. So she testifies that, in fact, yes, she was an escaped nun. She came to my house. Okay. Another uh, fact that confirms Maria Monk's testimony. Uh, a guy named, uh, the priest whose name is Felon, P-H-E-L-A-N, who was the father of her child, gave testimony uh, before his congregation because the Maria Monk was coming to Montreal to seek an investigation by the authorities. Uh, now, that investigation went nowhere in the end because the authorities were under the complete control of the Roman Catholic Church in Montreal. But she met with the civil authorities to explain what she had witnessed. And uh, <coughs> uh, Felon was concerned about her arriving because by that point she had given birth to her child. So she had uh, a, a young infant, uh, and he knew that that was his child. So one thing he did was he stated that she was a former nun, so right away he admits that she was a nun. Uh, he claimed that 
she would allege that he was the father, but that that was not true, that he was the father of that child, but it was not true. It was a scurrilous allegation. Well, here's the, here's the interesting thing about his claim. She had never revealed ever who the father of the child was. She only indicated it was a Catholic priest. So wow. when he made his denial public, it was at that point that she then confirmed that, yes, Felon was the father, but she had never previously revealed that. So, again, uh, why, would he, why would he allege that she would allege that he was the father unless, in fact, he was? Wow. Excuse me. Quite a story. Uh, I mean, he, one of the things that I guess uh, comes to my mind is, of course, you're you're a lot uh, along with a lot of other of our guests have come out of the Roman Catholic Church. You've come out of it. Uh, Chris Dernerin has come out of it. Uh, Kevin McHugh has come out of it. Um, and in talking with each one of um, you, what I find is that it's a very controlled environment. In other words, um, it's almost as if the local priest uh, is like the final authority in all matters related to that particular parish. And so <clears throat> my experience has been when you have someone who's looked up to as like a godlike figure, uh, they're not to question anything that they're told. They just do it. Uh, and a lot of them are very intimidated and are afraid. Uh, for the, And it sounds like that there was actually, uh, like you said, infanticide going on right within this, in this church. And we hear that if you go to Vatican, there's a lot of things on the um, Internet that, that are making allegations that there are just hundreds of hundreds of skulls under the Vatican, what goes on down under the building there. Um, now, I have a question for you. What We know that <laughs> all men are born and conceived in sin and have a propensity towards evil and so on, but with this much evil, this much corruption, is there a linkage between requiring a priest to remain celibate and the sexual abuse, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. And Romans tells us that. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's uh, first of all, it's a doctrine of the devil to, forgive the, to, to forbid marriage. We have that right there. Also, in, in Romans, it makes it clear that when, when people are engaged in idolatry, okay, then there are all sorts of sin uh, that they are susceptible to. Uh, and they have unnatural lusts, uh, even homosexual lusts. And we see that in the Roman Catholic Church with the pederasty of the Catholic priests. Basically, they're sodomites, and they are driven to sodomy by devil possession. This is a heathen religion. The Roman Catholic Church is, in essence, a phallic religion. Uh, if you study the heathen religions, virtually every one of them are phallic. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's Islam or Buddhism. Uh, in fact, if you look at an Islamic mosque, you'll see that it is surrounded by minarets, which are nothing but phallic symbols. Uh, you look at the St. Peter's Square. Right in the middle is the, is the obelisk, which is a phallic symbol. Uh, these are phallic religions. 
and they are those who are the priesthood in such religions engage in all manner of sexual deviance. In fact, many of the religious rites, including the Catholic Mass, is a deviant sexual uh, uh, ceremony. So, yes, this is we're dealing with uh, spiritual wickedness. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood here, uh, but against principalities and powers. And the um, the power of darkness in in high places. So this is this is what we have, uh, and we have to take on the whole armor of God in order to fight this. We have to we have to fight this in a biblical fashion. Um, can you but can you delve is, in? But the, the, the first step is to understand what the truth is. People have to understand what goes on behind the walls of these nunneries. This is a cloistered nunnery she was in, all right? And in a cloistered nunnery, they're not allowed to have contact with the public. So in a cloistered nunnery, they are behind the walls. They're never to return. In fact, the, initial, the, the, the ceremony that they undergo upon initiation is that there, there's a casket presented to them, and that that's the casket that they will be buried in when they leave, because they won't leave unless they're in a casket. Oh. Can you can you delve into because you said something that really sparked my interest and I've I've never heard this quite put this way. You stated that the mass was, in a sort of sense, uh, part of this phallic religion. Uh, how is the mass associated with this uh, sexual deviant activity? Okay, the Roman Catholic mass is actually a uh, it stems from Babylon. And it's a it's a Judaic it's a Jewish ceremony. The you have the uh, Einsoft, who's the the god many headed god of Judaism. There are ten Sephirah to Einsoft. One of the Sephirah is Yesod, uh, or sometimes called Jesod, but Yesod is the phallus of Einsoft. I mean, it gets really perverse. Uh, and this phallus is, during the ceremony, it copulates with a Shekinah. And Shekinah is a female uh, sephira in Einsoff. And through that copulation then, that takes place during the Mass, they join together uh, into what, what is created. And it's an uh, uh, androgynous god okay, that is that is part of the mass, and that's what is created during the mass. It's a, um, this is a, it's a perverse ceremony. So in witchcraft, they have public explanations that they give for everything, and the and the explanation given during the mass is that it's an unbloody sacrifice. It's a, it's a, it's a reenactment, basically, of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross in an un- unbloody fashion, and so they teach that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, both bone and sinew, everything, is in the form of bread, but it is God Almighty, Christ Almighty, who's in the form of bread, uh, and he's transubstantiated, that bread is transubstantiated into Christ. Well, the, the, the uh, esoteric meaning, the meaning that's not revealed, is what I told you just a minute ago, uh, that this is actually a phallic ceremony, 
a perverse sexual union, okay, that gives rise to the birth of an androgynous God. And that's why IHS is written on the host uh, uh, the, that, that is used during the ceremony because IHS stands for Isis, Horus, and Seb. So uh, Isis, Horus, and Seb, the, these are male and female gods and goddesses, okay? And they are all joined in one during this copulation for, with Yesod and Shekinah. So when you, hear, when you hear Protestant pastors talking about the Shekinah glory, that comes directly from Judaism. Okay, that is not a Christian concept. You never see anything about Shekinah glory in the Bible. Uh, that comes from the Kabbalah and the Talmud. The very things that, that, that uh, Jesus condemned the Jews for, that is setting aside God's laws for their traditions, which is what you find in the, in the Kabbalah and the Talmud. Now, do you think um, during the time that this nun, this particular event was happening, do you think that the the Pope of the time, I don't know who the Pope was, do you think he had knowledge of this, or was this just kept secret? Oh, no, he knew. They absolutely know. Um, There is, uh, he doesn't get to be, he doesn't get to be the Pope by, by being ignorant. No, he, he's paid his dues, okay? So it's kind of like the mafia. You've got to earn your bones, okay? You don't get to be the Pope unless, unless they have, first of all, they must have something on you to keep, to keep you in line. So you don't get to that level uh, without committing many, many uh, crimes. Wow. And so that's why, that's why the Pope is... Uh, and I reveal that in my book, uh, Solving the Mystery of Babylon the Great, and another one called Antichrist, the Beast Revealed, how the, the uh, several popes have been caught red-handed engaging in all manner of concealment and blocking any sort of prosecution of priests, uh, seeking to have them brought to Rome so that they can be uh, protected from indictment and so forth. Uh, because there is no extradition treaty with Rome. So once they're behind the walls of the Vatican, they're, they're safe from extradition. And the Vatican was asked several times for, I believe it was a cardinal they brought, uh, they, they, uh, brought back to the Vatican, and, and the Vatican said, nope, we got them, you can't have them. So that's the, that's the game they play. It's, a, it's organized crime. It's organized crime. They get engaged in human trafficking, uh, human sacrifice, the, and what is not revealed, and they don't reveal in cases where they have prosecuted priests, is that the fact that there's satanic uh, ritual abuse involved. So a lot of this, this uh, pederasty is part of satanic ritual abuse. These, these priests are engaged in Satanism, and the sexual abuse of the children is part of that. So they're destroying the innocence of the children because in the hierarchy of Satan, to take something that is innocent then and, and corrupt it uh, and destroy it is the ultimate evil. And that's, that's how you gain power and authority in, in Satan's kingdom. Uh, and and the, uh, a lot of this goes on uh, in, uh, in not just Roman Catholicism, uh, you, can ha- you have it in Judaism, where Passover 
they use the blood of a, of a child. I, I reveal this in my book, Bloody Zion. Uh, and they, uh, the idea that they, uh, they the, 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 um, the blood has to have a certain characteristic. So it's taken from the child while the child's alive, for the most part, uh, and they torture the child because they need the blood to have a certain characteristic of fear and uh, uh, adrenaline pumping through the blood. So they're very sick and sadistic in, their, in the way they kill their victims. Is it, is, um, is it too much of a leap to state that nothing's changed in Rome? I mean, do we have any proof that this is still going on today? With the, with well, the let's, let's look at the headlines just recently. I have an article here I'm looking at. What is the date on this? This is on CNN. I, I, uh, I got this on 11-10. And 800 babies, 800 young babies were found in the convent grounds in Tuam. And so these were babies that were found uh, buried in a, in a uh, I believe it was a convent? Um, I don't want to bore you, but the the, uh, the sisters of Bon Secours. So it was a convent, the sisters of Bon Secours, and they they uh, they occupied that area between 1925 and 1961. So 800 babies. Now there's no doubt that these babies were were the product of uh, extramarital relations of the nuns that lived there, and they simply killed them. Uh, also, we have, I mean, we can go right down the list. In, in, um, in 1993, all right, there was a mass grave found in, in a Roman Catholic Magdalene laundry in, in northern Dublin. They found 155 bodies in these graves. Uh, there were no death certificates for 80 of the bodies, and there was... Uh, and so in, in most countries, if somebody dies and the authorities don't, re- if the person doesn't report to the authority, that's a crime in and of itself. However, in all of these cases where they're finding, and this was in Ireland, in all of these cases where they're uncovering the Roman Catholic Church, not reporting the death, and simply burying these young girls on the, on the site, uh, they, there's no investigation, no police investigation whatsoever of that kind of conduct. Nobody seems to care because in these Roman Catholic countries, the government is completely controlled by the Roman Catholic Church. And so they're protected. Uh, We have Charlotte Wells who came out. She was uh, a a nun between 1910 and 1932. Uh, Let's see. uh, That's the most recent famous one. And so she was uh, going throughout the country uh, talking about her... experience uh, in the um, uh, in the nunneries. Uh, now, Pope Gregory, this is interesting, and this is in the 600, so say 600 AD, but they, Pope Gregory had his fish pond uh, dragged, and you know what they found in his fish pond? 6,000 infant skulls. 6,000 yeah. infant skulls. Yeah. Wow. He was, he was even shocked by that but these were all and back then it was it wasn't an abortion it was it was infanticide so when these priests uh when the nuns would have children 
uh, they would simply drown them in the Pope's wow. pond. Wow. And that was so. So we have basically an unbroken, uh, all the way until today, uh, line of of debauchery by the priests and the nuns, and and the poor nuns that are brought into these these nunneries, uh, they don't know what's awaiting them. They think they're going to do service to God. They're they're disabused of that right away, but then it's too late. They can't get out. So in the United States, we see almost every week um, where there's been millions and millions of dollars of lawsuits uh, against the Roman Catholic Church, the organization itself, uh, civil lawsuits. uh, How can people win civil lawsuits for sexual abuse against priests and they not be criminally charged by the government? Okay. Here's how this works. Um, The Roman Catholic Church actually has a system that conceals evidence. So give me an example. And I know this because I've I've, I've talked to people who have have, uh, tried to arrest priests, and this is what they're faced with. So they'll go to the, con- the, uh, uh, to the parish, right, and they'll have an arrest warrant for the priest. So the Monsignor meets them at the door, and they've got the arrest warrant. The Monsignor says, well, guess what? Uh, last week or last month or whatever, okay, uh, we received orders from the Vatican. They are sealed orders in a diplomatic pouch, and they are for the priest's eyes only. The priest himself is given orders to be transferred to another parish. And in those orders, he's not to reveal to the Monsignor or anyone else where he's going. And so pursuant to those orders, because when when the Catholic Catholic Church realizes that the authorities are hot on the trail of the priest, then they send these orders from the Vatican, because the Vatican is a sovereign nation. Most people don't understand that. Uh, it's a sovereign nation. It has its own Secretary of State and everything. We trade diplomats with the Vatican. We have a Vatican diplomat from the United States. It is a sovereign country. And so they have diplomatic uh, status. These pouches cannot be searched. Uh, they're, um, but in any event, uh, this, this diplomatic pouch is given to the priest. He then leaves, and nobody knows where he, go, where he went. Never, it can't be tracked down, okay? So he pops up someplace else to an unsuspecting parish where he then starts abusing the children there. And the same thing happens again. Boom, he's transferred to another parish. And if, if he's of high enough authority, a bishop or a cardinal, they'll just have him brought back to the Vatican for protection. It's been done, and it continues to be done. They also have a system whereby when somebody comes in and complains about the conduct of a priest, they must testify under oath, okay? They also must testify under the threat of excommunication if they are to reveal anything that they tell the investigating authorities from the Roman Catholic Church. 
So they've got to keep their mouth shut once they, once they come to the Roman Catholic Church and they explain what happened. Otherwise, they're excommunicated. Um, now, remember, you're dealing with these Roman Catholic superstitious people who, when excommunicated, virtually means uh, basically they're, gonna, they're relegated to hell because they think there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. So that effectively keeps the, the mouth of the victims shut. The priest, however, under their system, and this is all written down, by the way, these, the, this system of concealment was brought to light. It was leaked. And uh, I, there's a, you, you can get a copy on the, uh, on the Internet. It's posted on the Internet. Uh, this, but in any, any event, the priest, when he testifies, it's not under oath. He gives his side of the story, and he is not subject to cross-examination. <coughs> and so he gets to give his side of the story, not under oath, okay, and he can just go about his business, deny what's happening. And a lot of times, the, uh, they sweep things under the rug. If they can, they try to buy off the victim. Okay, in all of these settlement agreements, there's always a, um, a gag order in there where the, the victim cannot reveal the terms of the settlement or the allegations. So they've got to keep their mouth shut. That's a payoff. So they get millions of dollars, um, and if they're able to catch them before the lawsuit's even uh, entered into, they'll enter into a settlement for you know a couple hundred thousand dollars. But these people are being paid lots and lots of money to keep their mouths shut, and that's that's how they keep all of this from coming out. But what happens is uh, when a lawyer catches wind of this happening, and this is where this is where actually. The lawyers do a good thing. So the lawyers catch wind of this happening, and they start investigating, and they uncover many, many more victims than just the one that came to him. See, and that's what happens, because the studies have shown that over a, over a lifetime of a pederast, they abuse more than 300 victims over their lifetime. So if a priest abuses one child, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's more than 300 children that have also been abused. So that's, that's what you're dealing with with the Roman Catholic Church, and they, and they cannot stop themselves. They're possessed by devils that drive them to it. These abominable crimes are committed by abominable beasts who are possessed by devils. Well, I guess the thing I'm struggling with is the prosecutory powers of the government because I, we know for a fact that the government has prosecutory powers over other criminal uh, activities. Even well, they have, well, by the way, they have prosecuted many priests, not nearly, not nearly the, the number who have committed it. There are many that get away. Most of them get away with it. Most of them get away with it because part, part of the settlement is that they agree not to, not to uh, pursue criminal charges. So a lot of these, these settlements also make the criminal charges go away. Okay. And, the, and the, many times the civil authorities go along with that, and so they will dismiss charges if the victim asks that the charges be dismissed. So a lot of times the, the criminal charge is leveraged for a greater payment to the victim okay. to make the criminal charges go away, and they do. So if the I victim goes to the prosecutor and says, listen, 
I don't want to pursue this any longer, uh, a lot of times the prosecutor is, is not going to fight that. The prosecutor is looking at political blowback. There's no political blowback if the victim uh, asks that the charges be dismissed. So that's what's going on here. These large settlements are, the, are a result of the fact that there is a criminal investigation. And in fact, the okay. criminal investigation may involve organized criminal charges of conspiracy against the hierarchy of the Vatican. That's what they're really concerned about, and that's why they're so willing to settle for such large amounts of money, because it is organized crime. Make no mistake about it. This is a massive conspiracy. Yes, the bishops, the archbishops, the cardinals, the pope, they are all in on it, see? And so when it starts getting to the bishops and the archbishops, which happened in Boston with uh, Cardinal Law, and they had, to, uh, they had to bring him back to the Vatican, and they gave him a very honored post in the Vatican. So it wasn't like punishment. They just wanted him out of town so that he wasn't going to be prosecuted because, as it turns out, he knowingly sent priests, knowing that they were pederasts, to other parishes to continue their abuse, and he knew about it, and that evidence came out. So they then uh, uh, had him uh, sent back to the Vatican so that they could not subpoena him, they could not indict him, they could not arrest him, because now he's safe in the Vatican. They had to get him out of town. So when it gets to that level, the local bishop, archbishop, they're, they're back to the Vatican. And, uh, yes, there are. There have been a handful of priests who have been criminally prosecuted. There have been a handful of them, yes. I have a question for you, and this is just kind of unrelated a little bit, but it is, it is related, and that is how is it that people who are members or, um, you know, whatever, what, I don't know if they call them members of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, people within the parish, people who've been in the Roman Catholic Church for years, how is it that they can stay in it knowing all of this sexual abuse is going on in what is a so-called church? How can they stay okay. in it? All right. Well, let, let, me, let me paraphrase from one of the Catholic saints. Uh, I can't remember which the saint name was, but basically she laid it out like this, that because the priest the bishop, the cardinal, the pope, because they have their office as a priest, that is ordained by God. And though the priest be the devil himself, you're to uh, abide by the authority of that priest. Okay? So it doesn't matter what his character is. It is his status as a Roman Catholic priest that is to um, be respected and obeyed. Now, if the priest is caught engaged in some terrible crime, unless the Roman Catholic Church itself defrocks him, if he remains a priest, he's to be respected, obeyed, and uh, all of the rituals and so forth that he engages in are efficacious for the Roman Catholic's salvation. Wow. So you confess your crimes to your, your, your sins to him, 
he has, still has the authority as a priest to forgive those sins. If he blesses you, you are blessed, though he's the devil himself. See, that's how wow. that works. Incredible. Wow. You know, when you were talking, I, I heard an interview with a trooper, a state trooper from Arkansas, who talked about his relationship with Bill Clinton, and it sounded like the, Bill Clinton had the very same mentality that you just laid out. Bill Clinton said to the state trooper, you know, you're going to be asked to do things that you're not going to like to do, but your job is to protect me because I am the governor of the state of Arkansas, and you will you will protect me and do whatever you're told and ask no questions. And this trooper went ahead to relay how he had to go and protect Bill Clinton against all kind of activities of immorality, oral sex with women, all kinds of things, and he could never question it because it was his job. That's the same mentality I'm hearing within the Roman Catholic Church. Yep. Yep. When I I talk to Catholics, which I do with some frequency, and I, I ask them some of the same things you asked me, and the the constant refrain I get back is, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because why do they say that? Because that's what the priests tell them when they bring their complaints to the priest. See, and the priest, and they say, hey, listen, look at the crimes committed by your fellow priest. What is going on here? And they say, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And they basically say, this is a church that's been around for 2,000 years. It will continue to be around. And yes, we will have problems, blah, blah, blah. They'll make all kinds of excuses. And that's what they say. But I'm saying that they are the bathwater. They're not the baby. So it's like they think, they think that if they leave, and it's, it's almost like a gambler who is at, has a losing hand, okay, and they have already put their life's earnings in the pot. And they're now down to the last few chips to put in, the last bet. And they've already put it all in on this hand. And you're coming along and saying, hey, listen, don't put any more money in the pot. You've got a losing hand. And they're looking at you like, hey, I've already invested my whole life in this church. I'm not giving it up now. See? And so that's what you're dealing with. And, and that kind of reasoning is from the devil. These people are oppressed by devils. When they go to the Roman Catholic Mass, they are surrounded by devils. They are influenced by devils. You, the, the idea that this is some sort of logical thing, that you can, that you can uh, reason with these people, you cannot. You cannot. This is demon oppression. That are, yeah. It's influencing the decisions of these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just thinking about the, the uh, proper response to um, sin in the church, and we have examples of that. Apostle Paul, um, in the situation where there was incest going on, 
uh, he actually told them to excom excommunicate. Uh, that's, I, I don't think he used that word, but in other words, to defellowship, to bring this person to a point of repentance, to turn them over to Satan. And it worked yeah. because the person uh, ceased and desisted his sexual immorality and his incestuous relationship. But there yeah. doesn't seem to be there doesn't seem to be that aspect at all in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not they have no solution to the problem. They are actually reinforcing the problem by hiding their sin. Yeah. 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 See what's Man. going on in the Roman Catholic Church is that sin is a manifestation of the theology. So it's not Christian. The idea, you know, this idea that, that it's simply another denomination is so wrong, okay? Right. You know, it is, it is satanic. The Roman Catholic Church is not Christian. It's satanic. And so it yeah. upsets people when I tell them that who are Catholic, and they just, uh, they, when they say they're Christian, I say, no, you're not. They get offended. I mean, you really got to be ready to, to, I mean, they get angry. And I have to explain to them, I'm sorry, but you're not a Christian. Uh, you know, you think you are, but you're not. That's not a Christian religion. It was founded by Peter. Yeah, well, that's your problem. The real church was founded by Christ. See? So, yeah. It's not, it's not a Christian religion. It's a heathen religion. They use Christian labels to bamboozle people. Mm -hmm. I uh, I recently was watching, and I know you know who I'm talking about. There's a guy on, he's pretty well known, he's got a lot of subscribers on YouTube called Brother Nathaniel. And he came out of Judaism and went into the Greek Orthodox Church. And I've known, like I, I know, for an example, um, uh, Francis Schaeffer's um, son, has now become a Greek Orthodox uh, confessing member of the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, is it your opinion that that's just another form of Catholicism? Yeah, it's, it's Catholicism light. They just don't recognize the Pope as their leader. I, I know right. Greek Orthodox, okay? I've, I've yeah. talked with them, and um, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, they claim that they that they're not like the Roman Catholic Church at all, but they are. They right. are. It's um, they. they uh, the Greek Orthodox Church has. I mean, I don't want to put a gradation of which church is worse. I mean, if you're not a Christian church, you're heathen, you're heathen church. I mean, it's just heathenism. Uh, you can say that yeah. about the Lutheran church as well. The Lutheran church right. is nothing but heathenism. It's, right. it, you know, if they have salvation that's other than by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, it's heathenism. Absolutely. There's no way to put it. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at most of the major denominations, whether it's the Episcopal church, whether it's the... Presbyterian Church of America, whether it's the Church of, um, you know, the uh, United Methodist Church, the Church of the Nazarenes, the, the uh, Southern Baptist Movement, all of those have departed 
from the gospel, which is by grace through faith, and they've added to it works. And I think that's what you're saying, is if you're, if you're preaching another gospel, how can you call yourself a church? Because it's not, it's not the church of Christ. It may be a church of Satan or a church of something else, but uh, it's pagan. It's a coven. It's a coven. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And I'm telling you, most churches are actually covens. Most. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating by using the word most. Well, you know, that, they, that, that, that strong language, I mean, what's your what's your definition of a coven? I mean, <laughs> that's well, basically if they if if they are if they are um if they're not well, Christ said it. Either you're with me or you're against me. Right, so, that's right. You know, if you're if you're not with him, you're against him. That's true. And yeah. that means you're on the devil's side. So you're in an organization that is fighting against Christ. So let me give you an example. Let's just let's take the let's take the weakest example I, that that somebody could present to me. Uh, free will Baptist Church, okay? A free will Baptist Church blasphemes God by by denigrating salvation by grace through faith. They say no, it's salvation by the free will of man. And they, they give a label to the gospel called Calvinism, and they use that to denigrate the gospel by giving it that label and fighting against it. I hear these preachers, okay? They fight against the gospel. They preach against the gospel. Well, why would they do that? They're working for the devil by doing that. So to call them the covenant is not a stretch. Well, you know, there's a lot of free will Baptist churches down here in Arkansas, and uh, pretty large ones. And they they make no bones about it. I mean, it's right on the sign outside their churches, free will Baptist church. And, you know, the only difference in the those that come right out in your face with the free will Baptist church and the Southern Baptist church is the Southern Baptist church is very deceitful. They try to walk the fence. And, and with these theological terms that really mean one and the same thing as free will, like terms like common grace and terms like a well-meant offer of the gospel and mm-hmm. the, general, the general call. And so what happens is if you go into the actual, um, uh, the, the actual creeds and confessions of the southern baptist church you'll find out that they do uphold the doctrine of the free will of man now they will they will give lip service especially the the convention now because there's been a they call a return to calvinistic theology is that whole group of people but the problem is it's like you said uh, if you talk to people that stay in the Southern Baptist Church, they'll say, well, the same thing that those people told you in the Roman Catholic Church. Why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Let's reform mm-hmm. within the church. Let's reform it to its old roots, which they say the old roots are rooted in a Calvinistic or Reformed perspective. But uh, it's so far gone. I mean, when you've got people there, when we, you've got people in the highest rank of, and I'm not just picking on the Southern Baptist Church, I'm using this as an example, 
when you've got people in the Southern Baptist Church who are lauded, okay, like Rick Warren, okay, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah. like the former Billy Graham, okay, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's a statue of Billy Graham out in front of one of the Southern Baptist churches. The only reason I'm bringing that up is that my perspective is that the Southern Baptist church, churches and the United Methodist churches and some of those others I've mentioned are no different than the Roman Catholic Church. They're not Christian either. And so right. these people that want to talk about Christianity and they want to talk about, you know, we're a Christian nation and we were founded on Christian principles, that's another subject for another time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still struggle, Brother Edward, with this whole when people start saying we were formed, our constitution was formed on Christian principles, we're a Judeo-Christian nation, uh, I just shake my head. Uh, That's the most duplicitous remark that people can talk about when they talk about we were formed on Judeo-Christian principles. Why don't they just come right out and say that we are Masonic, (laughs) okay, that we're a universal... the Constitution is a universalist document. Anyway, I didn't mean to get off off subject, but um, I, I just I I I I've struggled with the whole idea of the fact that you know we are a Christian nation and and that whole thing because uh, when we look at when we look at now I do believe that I have changed my perspective a little bit. Okay. But one time I would have told you, and I, I think I've even told Ed, Ed, um, Edward Henry this. At one time, if you'd asked me, you well, know, you know, when it talks about we have inalienable rights and our rights are given to us by our Creator and so on, that is true for the elect only. Okay, because Ephesians tells us that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Amen. Okay. Now, my question is, are all people without exception blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? No, they are not. And that's why we have this universal consciousness going on and this whole, anyway, I can get off and start ranting. But um, the Roman Catholic Church, to me, is merely a symbol of the the great whore of Babylon. And I think you Mm. would agree with that. I don't know... Uh, in Revelation where it talks about Babylon, uh, you know, and, and I've read your book and so on. A lot of people try to say it's one geographic area. I heard a guy today presupposing that it was, uh, you know, over there in in Saudi Arabia, okay? Uh, the, 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 the fall of Babylon would be, uh, I forget the country that's supposed to be so financially prosperous over there right now. But the point is, is that we're talking about a principle here, and the principle is what Ed has stated, that anything that goes against the gospel of Jesus Christ is pagan. <laughs> it's, 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 whether it's the, uh, uh, the founding fathers promoting the Masonic lie, okay, yeah. that all men are, are universally, you know, we are all created equal and endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. You know, I struggle with that. 
okay? And, and, with, and when you go back and you read the dialogue between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Madison, you see that a lot of these people held Masonic philosophies and values. But anyway, uh, you have any thoughts on that, Ed? Yeah, but we don't have time. <laughs> we don't well, have time. You, you, you've asked my thoughts, and we only have five minutes. I could talk for an hour yeah. on that. I know you could. I know you could. And and I would like to hear your perspective. And you know what? We can respectfully disagree on some things. I mean, uh, I, I one of the things I, I will say that Mark Kennedy taught me, <laughs> okay, and I want to thank Mark for that, I was on a talk sheet program, and I'm not going to mention any names, but there was a gentleman that were, um, I had great deference in uh, his opinion on the issue of hell, okay? He was saying that he didn't believe in eternal hell and that he believed in annihilation and everything. And Mark Kennedy rescued me, <laughs> okay? And if what happened, yeah, Mark Kennedy said, I must respectfully disagree with you, okay? That taught me a very valuable lesson. Rather than just lamb blast someone and say, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a bunch of, you know, uh, garbage, you know, you can, I think we can respectfully disagree uh, on, a prince, on something and still maintain uh, some respect uh, but still register our differences, and uh, um, so I thank you. I thank you publicly for that, Mark, for uh, uh, demonstrating that uh, in that particular format. Um, I want to just open it up, uh, Mark. Uh, do you have any any thoughts uh, tonight, or any questions of Brother Ed? And then I'll throw it open on TalkShoe. We have a number of people. If you have any questions, I've opened your mics. Um, for any questions for Ed, go ahead, Mark. I just have an experience to share. We have we have a Masonic temple and a Scottish Rite heritage temple here in Long Beach. But I used to uh, about back in the late '90s, I lived over there where this Masonic temple is. They converted it into condos now, but it's got the little symbol with the with the ruler and the compass and and the whatever they call it, and it's got this saying, to the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. Oh. It's very oh. interesting. Yeah. And and most of our founding fathers, like you said, Freemasons and deists also. Right. Well, we have a couple other people oh. on talk shoot. And I have opened your mic. Rick, Rick, are you with us tonight? One second. Go ahead. Okay, I think Rick is on the Rick, can you hear me? Yeah, Larry. Go ahead. Do you have any questions? Yeah, I was uh, yeah. wanting uh, ask a question. So, uh, the part, the part of the Babylonian religion, yeah, part of the Babylonian religion uh, was the nun. Um, 
would that be uh, the temple prostitutes and the Babylonian religion? Can you re- can you repeat that? I heard mention of, heard mention of the uh, uh, temple prostitutes. Right, right. Is that is that uh, is that likened to the uh, to the to what uh, esoterically, basically, what the nuns are for for the priests uh, of now uh, nowadays? Well, it's and, interesting uh, that you mentioned that because they are considered uh, brides of Christ. Okay, uh-huh. and the priest is supposed to be alter Christos. That is, okay. he's supposed to be another Christ. That's what right. they're called, alter Christos. And okay. as the bride of Christ, she is to submit to him. They have a vow of submission, a vow of obedience. Now, they yeah. have a, um, a vow of celibacy, but the vows have a hierarchy. The vow of obedience is the most important of the vows, and they are to obey whatever the priest tells them. Right. So they're required to submit to his sexual overtures. Okay. And so secondly, uh, the, uh, of course, uh, we're just talking about sexual abuse and stuff, so I'll just keep it on the topic. I was going to ask another question about the transubstantiation and that book, uh, Father Chinoquy, in uh, 50 Years in the Church of Rome, and where right. he was uh, doing the Mass and stuff, and he had his back, like the normal priests have uh, uh, in, in the mass, and, and uh, he's lifting up the, uh, the Eucharist, and um, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to him just like he spoke to you, just like he spoke to me, and just like he spoke to Larry and all those others uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit's quickened. That uh, he says, "What are you doing?" And uh, you know, it's like you know, it's like Samuel. You know, you talking to me? You know. And um, second, uh, he goes again and, and lifts up again and says, uh, what are you doing? And he, he's setting a uh, conversation with the Holy Spirit saying, I never, uh, Holy Spirit says, I, I never told you to do that. So he puts the, he puts the Eucharist down with a couple of abominations that uh, Revelation 17 and 18 says, turns around, doesn't say a word, walks down, walks down the steps, walks uh, down the aisle, out of the church, they never returned. Yeah. So, um, see, even, uh, I mean, as far as the, uh, the teaching of the election, predestination, and uh, 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 providence, you know, the sovereign grace of God, just like with uh, Elijah uh, confronting those uh, 490 uh, uh, false prophets of Jezebel, uh, if God be God, serve him. If uh, Baal be God, serve him. So Baal is, is the worship of the uh, male phallus. Is that correct? Um, Baal whether Baal, it, 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 Baal worship is phallic worship, but Got it. How, it, how it is manifested, you're asking me a question I don't have an answer to. Okay. All right? It's a lot of esoteric stuff. Right. Right, but it's still basically... Uh, you know, what they did as far as uh, in the groves, the sexual uh, promiscuity uh, in, uh, as the groves, that uh, when God uh, had to, uh, had a move on his people, the prophets were always there to cut down the groves so they couldn't uh, uh, go behind there and do their fornication and so forth. Yeah. 
to the to, to other gods. Okay, yeah, that's basically because uh, that came out of Catholicism and all that, and uh, not only that, but uh, um, as far as like for instance uh, necromancy and lighting candles and it's like one guy says going down to that place and talk to all those all those dead folk. Okay, um, that's, that's necromancy and that's it's also forbidden of God, you know. And um, so all those uh, that uh, when they say that they're talking to like dead, uh, their dead relatives, um, I was actually talking uh, after I got saved and doing my own research. I found out that I was talking to demons. So, yep. 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 You're absolutely right. Yeah. Not only that, but I did get uh, deliverance from those spirits that were that were living in me because see, you can't get past those uh, those religious teaching spirits that uh, Jesus said as far as in uh, Matthew 23 um, about uh, shutting up the kingdom of God. They won't enter themselves, and because it's impossible, uh, and they won't let others in themselves. They won't let others in either. So uh, all that. All that uh, Matthew 23 is dealing with the religion, religious teaching spirits of uh, you could I guess you could just uh, broad brush it with all mother uh, mother child re- religions of the world just like you mentioned it yeah so that's that's my comment my question thanks well, for the answer yeah well those are those are good comments and then probably another uh, subject we ought to discuss sometime is uh, have Brother Ed discussed with us is the relationship to Islam and Catholicism and Judaism uh, I think that's uh, I think Brother Ed said in one of his books that you know Judaism is at the core uh, of well actually Babylonian religion is at the core of all religions pagan religions but anyway, I want to thank Brother Ed tonight for his discussion. We kind of went a little bit over time, which is fine. But um, I, I want to thank you, Ed, for uh, for your research on this. And it's brought to light. Uh, my mind has been uh, really racing uh, with a lot of thoughts, uh, not only in the Roman Catholic Church, but also in other so-called churches. And... Mm-hmm. We have to examine our own, our own hearts and our own thoughts. You know, the, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, we know who right. can know it. Okay? God is the only one that can reveal to us the depravity and wickedness of our heart and bring us to a point of repentance. So, but anyway, yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate it tonight, Ed, and um, we'll look forward to uh, visiting with you uh on the on the 10th and we'll just kind of decide from here you know uh in the interim what our what our subject should be so with that i'm going to say good night to everyone thank you ed i hope you get better with your flu situation i hope you uh are feeling better okay thank you all right get well brother have a good evening everyone good evening god bless the saints Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.